going to be launching a brand new series through the book of James, and I entitled to this whole series, Discovering Practical Christianity. And as we walk through the book of James, I'm going to introduce you, if you don't already know it, to your new favorite book. That, that I, it's really hard not to read the book of James and not go, oh my gosh, that's totally my favorite book. Now, one disclaimer. The next book we cover, I'm gonna say, oh, this is totally your favorite book. Okay, so I say that a lot, I get that. But for some of you, this really is going to become your favorite book, why? It is so applicable, it is so easy to read, it feels like it could have been written yesterday. We're gonna find out there's so much uh, depth in this book. There is so much that seems familiar. There's so much that is so powerful as we walk through it. We're gonna walk through it line by line like we normally do, but I wanna begin by talking about a concept and then leading you into the fill in the blank that is either on the app, if you're following along on the app, or whether or not that is your fill in the blank on the sheet that was handed out to you. But let's, let's begin, because I wanna talk about trials. What I have for you this morning is an incredibly encouraging message, but, but it's encouraging about difficult times. So we're gonna start this off very personal and interactive. Quick show of hands, how many of you would say that you are currently going through what you would call a significant trial? Anybody going through a significant trial right now? Yeah, there's a bunch of us here, right? Okay, now, we are going to, at the end of the message, pray over you. We're going to pray breakthrough in your life. We're gonna pray that the Lord might move in an amazing way through your particular trial. Now, if you are not raising your hand, you know you've either been through a trial or in life you know you're gonna walk into a trial at some point. So y'all better pay attention to the message because some of us, we need this information before we walk into the hurricane, right? Not as we walk out of the hurricane, all right. So we're gonna be talking about that, yeah? So let me begin with the understatement of the century. Life can be difficult, yes? All right, and everyone's like, yeah, no kidding. I didn't need to get up for that, right? You got up for worship, that's cool. This is bonus, you understand what I'm talking about? Now, it can be difficult either due to trial or temptation. It can be difficult due to things inside or external. So how do we handle difficulty correctly? How do we not blow up when things get difficult? How do we not sin? in our fear and frustration? How do we not get derailed from our first love and the purpose that God has given us? That's what we really wanna know. How can we navigate trials well? The first step anytime handling something that is difficult in your life is remembering that God's still on the throne. You see, just because your life got rattled doesn't mean heaven got rattled, yeah? God is still on the throne. God is still in charge. Now, if God is still in charge, that means that any struggles of a child of God have purpose because he's going to get involved. Any struggles of the child of God have a purpose. It is not waste. It is not random. It may be bad, but God will not leave it bad. Does that make sense? Too many people have misread Romans and they say, well, the Bible says everything's good. It's all good. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible calls bad, bad, and good, good. What it says is for those children of God, God won't leave it merely bad. He will redeem it and transform it for our betterment. That's actually what it says. Regardless of what your trial is and how it started, we are guaranteed that our heavenly Father is gonna use it as part of our maturing, our growing, and our strengthening. God is never trying to tear you down. He is trying to build you up. Now, don't get me wrong, some of us need to be unmade so we can be remade. Y'all following? Yeah. Like if we've gotten off track so far, there's sometimes God's like, mm, little renovation project, nope. We're bringing it down to the studs. You understand what I'm saying? tear down, right? And, and you're like, oh, what are you doing to me? And he's like, well, I'm trying to make you what I designed you to be, yeah? All right, so it doesn't mean that it's easy. So here's, here's another question. Are you currently the full and complete version of yourself? 
I don't think so. If you are not, there's work that needs to be done. It means you cannot remain who you are and be transformed. You actually need to change. There's some things in you that need to go away, and there's some things that need to be added in, right? How is God going to do that with you? He's probably going to use the same process he's been using all throughout the universe, and that is transformation or change through resistance. I mean, we've used all these analogies way too much. They're boring now. Oh my goodness, the little butterfly has to struggle to get out of the chrysalis or else he won't have strong wings, yeah? Oh, the little baby bird's gotta peck his way out or else he's not going to have the strength to live, right? Oh, we go to the gym to get resistance training so we can tear down our muscles so they rebuild again. In other words, God always works through resistance training. What do you think a trial is? Okay, that's resistance, that's pain, that's difficulty, that's stuff coming at you. So God's going to use it, whether or not the enemy meant it for evil, God will mean it for good, and he will allow you to build your spiritual muscles as you push through, yeah? Y'all tracking with me? Okay, good, four people are, praise the Lord. Just because something feels bad doesn't mean it is bad. And even if it is bad, that doesn't mean that God will leave it bad. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Hard times can make you better or bitter. Yes? Hard times can make you better or it can make you bitter. I have to say that in my own personal life, uh, certain trials actually made me bitter initially. It was not until Jesus continued to work with it that it began to transform me. When I would have struggles relationally with people, uh, the bitterness is very quick to creep in, and then I tend to want to isolate. I tend to want to back off from people. Yet God's word says, do not forsake the fellowship together. The Bible says that we need each other. The Bible says that it's not good for us to be alone. So I had a check in my spirit because what I really wanted to do was just say, well, forget it then. I don't want to be with anybody. They're too painful. That's where I began to get bitter, and the Lord said, hold on, I have something better for you. Please don't allow that to settle in and become your new truth. Does that make sense? All right, so I'm still working on that. Thank you for the therapy, appreciate it. All right, good, good, good. All right, turn with me to the book of James. James chapter one, verse one. If you've never read this book, this is exciting. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. If you're reading out of what's called the ESV, the English Standard Version, it's page 1011. That's 1011. So if you drop your Bible open in the middle, you're gonna go way to the right. You're eventually gonna hit a book called Hebrews. It's super long. James is right after that, all right? James 1.1, we're going to walk through it line by line. Here we go. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Right there, we have an entire message. Usually we read these titles and we kind of blow past them and wait for the meat. Well, you just got it. Let's start out. Who wrote the book? James, right there, yeah? Who's James? Jesus' brother. Now that's weird, yeah? Out of all the people that need to get saved, probably the most awkward are his siblings, correct? This is the dude that lived down the hall, right? It even says that in his life, when he first went public with his ministry, his brothers actually didn't believe in him. You know, he had multiple brothers and he had sisters, Anybody know who's the oldest? Jesus. Okay, it's Mary was a virgin birth, you guys, come on. <laughs> right, like, let's. <laughs> Jesus was somewhere in the middle. You're like, no, I don't think he was. <laughs> All right, cool. Just thought I would see if you were awake. All right. They didn't believe in him initially. As a matter of fact, it's really hard to wrap your mind around him being the Messiah. And so even in the middle of his ministry, it said they thought he was out of his mind. But ultimately, when he rose from the dead, they had to come face to face with a reality. You see, James not only got saved, but he was considered a pillar in the church. He was considered equal to people like Peter and John. It is believed, according to history, that he was the first bishop of Jerusalem. Now, we talk about, oh, the first bishop of Rome, that's Peter, that's where we get the pope, and blah, 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 blah. 
Think about where it all started. The church in Jerusalem, who is the big dog there? James, why? Because when he finally came around, you gotta imagine, he had already spent 33 years with Jesus. Like, I mean, he's got his MO, he's got how he thinks, and he now start kind of doing that revisionist history of going, oh my gosh, I was living with the Messiah the entire time. This is a trip. They sound so much alike that many scholars say, man, if you read this in Greek, it sounds an awful lot like the Synoptic Gospels. It sounds almost like Jesus is writing it himself, like he's got the same vibe to him. Well, yeah, they've been together for a really, really long time. And the next line is James's way of defining himself. Do you think that how he defines himself might be something we would consider to think about how we ought to define ourselves? So what did he say? He could have said James, a pillar of the church. He could have said James, an apostle. He could have said James, something cool. Here's what he said. I'm a slave of God. That's it. That's who I am. It's not about my agenda. It's not about my kingdom. It's actually not about me. You know who I serve? I serve God. That means everything I do, I put through that lens. See, I've lived for me, and it's not enough. I want to live for him. And a slave doesn't have his own priority list. A slave only has one focus. What does the master need? Let's do that. There's no competition here. But then he says something interesting. I'm also a slave of my Lord Jesus Christ. That's your brother. Lord means master. Immediate submitting underneath. He is not too prideful to submit to his brother. That's extraordinary. No wonder he's the pillar of the church. So he writes it out and he says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, that means Jewish believers. I'm writing to Jewish believers that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire due to the dispersion based on persecution. Rome had kind of a vibe about it and they didn't like when people rocked the boat. Well, at different times, the Jews rocked the boat and at different times, Christians rocked the boat and they weren't cool with that. So persecution hit and they would scatter all over. Now, what's important about that is that they're religious refugees, yes? Uh, what's the difference between an immigrant and a refugee? An immigrant wants to leave their country, a refugee must leave their country. Does that make sense? So usually... An immigrant would plan for it. They would say, I want to move my family, therefore we're gonna make an orchestration. We know where we're gonna land. A refugee says, I have to get out of here and I don't have a plan. I'm like, I just gotta go. Now we've been watching a lot of that in the world news through Ukraine, yes? We've been watching this massive outpouring of millions of people out of a country and they did not want to go. There was no plan on, I want to leave my house and go find somewhere else. There was no plan on, I'm going to leave the men here and the women and children are going to take off. There was no plan on what my job was going to be. They spill out into an area where people may not even want them around. You see, being a refugee is scary. Everything about it is scary. Oh my goodness, who are my people? Like, who's my support system? Will I have somewhere to stay? Will I have something to eat? Will my children be cared for? That, that refugee status is super scary. But there's an added burden if you're a religious refugee. Why? Because whether it's true or not, and I don't believe it's true, Almost every religious person in the world believes that if they do their religion right, things should go well for them. Right? I mean, think, it's not true, right? But we kind of think that. Like, if I'm a, if I'm a, a good boy, if I'm a, if I'm a good girl, and Jesus should take care of the rest, and everything should go well for me. Like, we, we know that that's not theologically right. We know that that's not really in the Bible, but we kind of have that vibe, because when something goes wrong, you start second-guessing God or yourself. God, what did I do? 
Like, why am I persecuted? Why is things going so badly for me? Did I miss it? Like, I'm serving you. I'm living for you. I'm trying to do the right thing. Why is this stuff hitting me? Do you not care? Have you abandoned me, right? We have to go through all these these questions. It's interesting because I look back at how much stuff in our life comes at us and how much stuff we cause, how much drama we cause. Do we not cause an awful lot of our own drama? Yeah, yeah. Do you realize that Christianity isn't supposed to be as hard as we make it? I mean, think about all the stuff that is currently on your prayer list. Lord, I, uh, this is so hard to be a Christian and walk through recovery. He's like, hold up, I didn't ask you to go into addiction. And as a matter of fact, the only reason you were in addiction is you weren't walking with me, right? Oh, okay, okay. And then we're like, Lord, um, you know, I, I can't believe it. God, all this is happening to me. I can't believe I got fired. He's like, well, okay, hold on. You're a terrible employee. Like, <laughs> your last review was a, literally a zero. I don't think this was a surprise to anybody, right? Lord, I don't understand why I don't have any friends. Well, you're a jerk. I just, I'm just trying to point it out. I, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying that you're actually not a nice person. So uh, we're struggling here. There's a lot of drama we create, and we're like, God, why? Right? But there is some stuff, and this is what he's about to talk about, that comes and hits us. But for a moment, I want to talk about self-created drama. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest, light. Is that how you feel? Now, don't get me wrong. Paul was one of the most sold out people ever, and he still had a difficult existence. But there were certain things he didn't have to wrestle with that we kind of added to our plate, right? And Jesus is going, hold on, if you're really talking about stuff that I put on you, it's pretty light lifting. Because ultimately, you can always default back and say, I surrender to you, Lord, fight my battles, and then I come into play, right? So I'm not asking you to be overburdened. I'm not asking you to be crushed under the weight of life. As a matter of fact, if you want to walk my route... In obedience, I'm probably going to navigate you away from some of the really hard stuff that at least it would be self-created, right? All right. But there's times when things go bad that we start to blame God, right? When everything goes bad, you always want to figure out who to blame. Like, what, how did this happen, right? What is going on? And some of us are like self-condemners, so we immediately go, I'm the cause of everything. And then there's some of us that are blamers, right? Everyone's doing this to me. I, I think we need to have a little bit more sober judgment. But when things go bad on earth, we're tempted to think that something is wrong with God. But the danger is that when we shift God from our savior to our tormentor, there's a relational break. Okay, the, let me, let me pause here because every Christian is going to have to walk through this conundrum. You ready? The more I learn about God's sovereignty, the more I realize you could have stopped my pain. Hold on a second. Where were you when I was abused? Wait, you were in charge? And you still allowed that to happen to me? Maybe you're the prop. Do you understand what happens? Every Christian has to walk through that. We got to figure it out. And ultimately, what do we have? We have someone whispering in our ear who's been whispering since the Garden of Eden. Do you really think that God cares about you? Do you really, he's holding out on you. I mean, there's something he could have done, totally didn't do it, man. I'm just saying, it's sketchy, Right? Because his whole goal is to separate us from the Father. Why? 
because the Father is all that is good and all that is true help. But when we start to relationally shift him from savior to tormentor, we won't run to him, we'll run from him, and that's when we can get picked off. Y'all tracking with me? When things become difficult in our lives, it is tempting to alleviate the pressure, the fear, the hardship. We scramble under the strain and the stress, and we start trying to find ways to live more easily. And that's where we find self-soothing techniques, that's where we find escapism, that's where we find substance abuse, right? Why? Because we have a pain now, most humans can't just go, my hand's over the fire, I'm gonna leave it there. Make sense? Like you have a pull away, I need this pain to stop. But how we get the pain to stop can either add a burden or relieve a burden. Man, I'm super stressed at work. I feel like everybody's after me. I don't feel like I can keep up, but I need to have this job to support my family. I am freaking out every day. What I really need is a bottle of Merlot. <laughs> every night. Why? Because I'm stressed every day. I went through a long eight hour period of stress. It's me time. I need to have me time and check out. Okay, now what we did is we added a burden of alcoholism onto our current burden of stress. It actually did not alleviate the stress. It did not fix the problem, right? So now we have two problems instead of one problem. And when we start doing that, we end, we end up finding out we begin to compromise what we know is right. We're making adjustments, yeah? The problem that James sees is that compromise takes you in a very, very dangerous direction, right? When we adjust Christianity too much, it's no longer Christianity. When we compromise too far, we are no longer who we think we are, correct? When we distort the gospel too much, it's no longer good news. When we give in to sin too much, we end up re-adding bondage that we were freed from. So James went, whoa, 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 hold on, I know this path. Guys, we cannot look at it the same way we're always looking at it. He knows that it's human nature to justify, right? Justify our actions. It's scary how far we are willing to adjust the truth to make us feel better. It is shocking what lies we will tell ourselves so we can live with ourselves. Is that true? Yeah. Y'all heard this phrase compartmentalization? Have you heard this? Compartmentalization means that you emotionally are putting things into categories. As a matter of fact, it's incredibly helpful for organizational things. It's very helpful in work life. It's actually very helpful in many areas. Where it is most damaging is in spiritual matters. Because here's what we will do. And, right, and, and compartmentalization is things like, I am, so for me, I am a husband. How am I doing as a husband with Susie? Okay, I'm a dad. How am I doing as a dad with Jill and Andy? Okay, I'm a pastor. How am I doing with Bridgeway? I'm a, right? And I have these segments, and I'm estimating how I'm doing in each one as if they are independent. But when we get to spiritual matters, we run into danger. I'm an elder in the church and I harm my wife at home. Wait, hold up, what'd you just say? Well, those are two separate categories. Not to God, they're not. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you just say that you can be this quality of person here, this quality of person here, and those are separate? No. I appreciate your attempt at compartmentalization. What I'm telling you is God sees it all bleed. So in other words, Integrity means soundness throughout. God is looking at the whole, not just your compartments. Hey, I may be cheating on my wife, but I'm a good dad. Okay, that still says something about your holistic nature, yes? But we keep trying to do these things. So, as our little squirreliness goes, James said, let's walk 
right into it because I think there's a better way to handle stuff. And this is what he said. Look at verse two. He said, count it all joy. That word in Greek means I need you to think differently about this and be glad, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patient endurance. Now, if you let that steadfastness have its full effect, you will be complete and whole, undamaged, lacking in nothing. Joy. Hmm. I'm supposed to have joy when I walked into a buzzsaw. Is that what you're telling me? And that's really what he said. When you meet trials, you open the door, boom, got hit by a hurricane. You may not have caused it, you may not have done anything about it, and suddenly diagnosis of disease. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I didn't cause prostate cancer, I didn't cause any of these things, but you get this diagnosis. Your body breaks down. You, you go out and it's economic downturn and you lost your retirement. You didn't do anything wrong and you walked into this and the trial met you. He's like, you're going to be met by a variety of trials. What is he talking about? Financial? Sure. Is he talking about relational? Sure. Is he talking about physical? Sure. All that will come and meet you. But when it hits your world, I want you to be glad. You're like, yeah, I'm not quite sure how that's gonna work out. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. And he's like, well, hold on a second. If you follow me, you know what I'm saying is true. Because here's ultimately what it does. It says that it produces in you a patient enduring Meaning when you walk through a trial, it starts building muscle in you. Why? Resistance, resistance, resistance. And you are learning to cope. It's like being thrown into the deep end and you panic, but you learn to swim. You're building new muscles. You're building new skills. He's like, you know that God's going to use whatever it is ultimately for your strengthening. So you almost can have this attitude of, Man, that just hit me. Now, what's God gonna do with this one, right? Like, I can't see anything good about this, but I bet you God does. He knows what to do. Now, I wanna, I wanna caution you on something. Let's be careful on what we believe God causes versus what God uses, right? Because we kind of wanna blame him and say, well, you did that. Hold on, God can go, Satan meant it for evil, I meant it for good. It was bad, I made it good. Once again, broken world, broken people, good God. Amen. All right, you, like until we're not going to understand how to handle trials until we understand that little uh, maxim. Yeah, broken world, broken people, good God. Because God's going, hold on, I didn't start this engine. I didn't cause this problem. I never chose you to say no to me and wreck your world. I never told you to be mean to each other. I never told you to invite disease. I didn't ask for any of this. I'm the good guy here. You can lean into me. Broken world, broken people, good God. Once again, let's go back to Romans. Romans 8, 28, we like this one. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It does not say all things are good. It says that what? All things will work together for an ultimate good result. That's what it says, right? So what is ultimately God trying to accomplish when we hit a buzzsaw and he walks us through it? We develop spiritual muscle for what? Because when you only are looking at yourself, you're only looking through a survivor's mentality. You're not looking big enough. God doesn't just want you to survive, he wants you to thrive. He doesn't just want you to care for you, he wants you to care for others. But here's the problem. Christians, now I'm gonna say it's all people, but I've noticed it very commonly in Christians, we are quite a skittish bunch. 
we kind of freak out over the weirdest things, right? There's a blood moon. It's the end of the world, right? And you're like, I think the moon's just red right now. I don't think that means that revelation just fell on us, right? I'm selling everything. Well, can I have your TV? (laughs) Okay. And what happens is we possum out. Y'all know what this phrase is? Of course not. I just made it up. We possum out, right? Because here's what ends up happening. You guys know what happens when possums, like they, they, they play dead, like they get, they get scared, right? So what happens is it's like, uh, there's an economic downturn. Christian goes, ah! <laughs> and the Lord's like poking, like, <laughs> are, you, are you with me there, buddy? <laughs> oh, I thought you said there was an economic downturn. Oh, there is. <laughs> okay, then... It's like he did, then all of a sudden, it's kind of like, well, there's a new president. Well, I don't know, does he agree with me? No. (laughs) Okay, stop doing it, it's irritating, right? Like every time you do that, it makes me like you less. I'm just telling you right now. Like, I don't know what's happening with you, but I just have to keep poking you to wake you up again. Okay, cool. Now, how about we have difficulty and we walk through it and look, you didn't die. You're all right, buddy. Look, let's do it again. Okay, so we're gonna go in. We're gonna go in, and we're gonna we're gonna swim. What? And he shoves you in. Ah! And you're like, <laughs> and he's like, look. Okay, now we have a new skill, right? We have. So if I shove you in the water again, what's gonna happen? Well, I'm gonna swim. Okay, that's right. Okay, so cool. So here's what I actually need you to do. You see, when something bad happens, you'll notice everyone else possums out. What I need you to do is actually encourage them. I actually need you to be part of the strength. I actually need you to be part of the solution. But if you keep possuming out, I can't use you because I'm still trying to wake you up. See, you can't look at it through a lens of just me. We're a family and, and God should be able to shoulder tap you in times of crisis and say, you're still on with me, right? So he uses resistance training. He keeps taking you through things and you begin to learn. Think about how the military trains guys and ladies that are ultimately special operators. They're kicking doors. If they go, bam, and kick open the door and they're like, he's got a gun. Ah!" And you're like, you have a gun. Like that's why you're here, sir. I... Like there's a, bunch of tr- there's a bunch of testing so that the idea is I'm already expecting resistance but that's kind of what I'm trained for. That that's what he wants in his Christian people because all of a sudden chaos hits and the Christians rise up. And they're like, man, I've been there, done that. It's just a red moon, I swear. Right? All right. Verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Now, this is, tends to be taken out of context. People are like, oh, I love this one. It says, if you're dumb, ask God, and he'll make you smart. <laughs> That's not what it says. What it says is, what's the context? Trials. If you go into a trial, and you're met with something, and you're spun, and you don't know what's happening or how to handle it, and you need wisdom, wisdom is What's going on? How should I handle it? Ask me, and I'll help write you. But when you ask me, I need you to actually listen to me, right? Because this is what he says next. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Because here's how we tend to deal with trial. God, I'm freaking out. Okay, that was a statement. Are Are you asking me something? Well, I can't believe you let this happen to me. Still a statement. Still not a question, right? Lord, I have been praying about this for weeks. No, you've been worrying about it for weeks. Those are two different things, right? Because what we tend to do is we keep saying, I'll handle it. No, wait, you handle it. No, I'll handle it. No, you handle it. No, I'll handle it. And we're back and forth, and God 
just goes, listen, I'm going to go ahead and wait this out until you decide that you're going to listen to me. All right, what I'm going to say, sometimes it's just flat out encouraging. Hey, kiddo, we got this. But if there's something I need to share with you that can bring you awareness, maybe you don't really want to hear that, huh? Right? Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm getting a divorce. Well, you're not really good being married. You actually have to grow up. You have to learn. You have to actually have to treat somebody kindly. Right? Well, I don't want to hear that right now. Okay. But sometimes he's just trying to say, I'm with you. But you actually have to stop and listen and not just plug your ears and run. Right? Then he said this. Verse 9 seems totally random, non sequitur. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Okay, what's the context? Trials. Poor people and rich people go through trials differently, depending on the trial. Why? Rich people have money cushion. Okay? So, for example... Uh, wow, I just got laid off today. I'm really struggling with my identity. I gotta need to take some time off and think about it. Okay, that's what rich people say. Poor people, if I don't get a job today, I don't eat tomorrow. So I don't have time to think about it and reflect on it, right? Oh, we're, I'm getting a divorce. I, it's really put me in a spin. I'm gonna backpack Europe and just find myself. Okay, that's, that's a rich person thing to say. <laughs> Poor people are like, I will sit here and cry. I have no other options. Does that make sense? So when we're wealthy, we tend to have a buffer of things that can make us feel better. And so we can kind of get lost in escapism. And so <clears throat> ultimately what happens is James says, now when you're dealing with a trial that comes and knocks you out, how should you handle it if you're poor? Well, Right off the bat, you should feel happy about your lifting up. And you're like, I don't understand. I just got tore down. Yeah, but look at my word. What does my word say? When you're in a hurt, desperate situation, I come nearer. So like when everyone else doesn't care about you, God draws close and now all of a sudden you're in his hands. You don't normally have a lot of stuff, but now God is all over you. So you actually just advanced in your pain. He said, now the, the rich got a whole different ballgame for you guys. You should be glad you got wiped out. Now, let's pause. The Bible talks about people that have money in two ways. There is the rich, and then there are Christians who have wealth. Those are actually two separate things. The rich is a category of people whose money owns them. Christians who are wealthy are Christians who own money. Does that make sense? There's a big difference there. One is praised, one is really kind of taken to the woodshed. Because if money owns you, you live for money. If you own your money, you live for God. Does that make sense? There's a big difference in how to handle money. So this is talking about the rich, and he's like, if you are the rich, and you get blown up, it's the best thing that ever happened to you. Because for the first time, you can't rely on that, and you actually have to look at me. You've been hiding behind that the entire time. Praise me, God would say, because you finally lost everything, and now we can begin a relationship. Pick it up in verse 12. Blessed and that word means satisfied that you're in the favor of God. Like, God is looking at me and bringing good things. I feel blessed. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. When you have hung in there and clung to Jesus through this life that is so difficult, you will come face to face with him and it says you will be given a crown of life. That is simply a physical representation of the phrase, 
well done, my good and faithful servant. Because here's what he's saying. Kiddo, you clung to me. You get me. I'm the only thing you ever needed in the first place. I'm so proud of you. When you see the look of approval and joy in the face of Jesus, all the problems melt away. He's like, guys, I just need you to hang in there and choose me. We can do this. We're going to be all right. Then we pick it up in verse 13, and we talk about a different form of trial. We're talking about temptation. The word temptation and trial are the same in Greek. Who's doing it for what reason will determine whether it's a trial or a temptation. Cool? Cool. All right, here's what he says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God can't be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived or action is put to it, gives birth to sin. Now sin, when it's fully grown, if it's not checked, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above coming down with the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What did he just say? He said, some trials in your life are ill-intended There is an active enemy seeking to wreck you. When you get one of those and you know that the source of it and the intention is to destroy you, don't look at me like I'm doing that. I don't ever do that. I'm the good guy. I actually don't have any evil in me. Like that's not even a thing. Evil is the absence of me, so I can't do evil. Are we all tracking on that? Like, stop looking over at God's trying to ruin me. No, I'm not trying to ruin you. If anyone's trying to ruin you, it's certainly not me. It's the enemy is trying to tear you down. But understand this, this whole, oh, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Hold on a second. The devil can't ultimately win you a temptation if you didn't want it in the first place. Like, you want to know how temptation really works? He has to whisper into you and suggest that your craving should be acted upon. But why is it a craving in the first place? Let's talk about how it works. That inside you, there's things that you want that you ought not have. Now, Satan's going to play off that. He doesn't need to make up something new. He just needs to whisper about what you're interested in right now. It's pretty simple. That he goes, no, 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 I think you should take advantage of that. I think you deserve that. Then you start thinking about it. Now, the idea that you would have temptation, the idea that you would have attraction towards that which is unacceptable, the the idea that you would have these terrible thoughts, those are not sin. How do we know that? Because the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all ways that we are, yet was without what? Sin. There's no sin there. So many of us are like, man, if I was a real Christian, I would have never thought that. Hold up, why not? You're screwed up. Man, I'm a pastor and it is sketchy up in there. You understand what I'm saying? So of course you thought that. I was going into prayer and all of a sudden, what? And I just, I was like freaking out, you know. Okay, of course you did, you're a human being. There's all kinds of stuff that comes flying through your head. What has to be the decision is what am I going to do with it? Attraction to something that is not God's best for you is not automatically sin. What are we going to do with it? He said only when it is given action does it come to life and become sin. Then if that sin is not checked, once again, what do we do with sin? We bring it to the foot of the cross. What do we do with sin? We die to ourselves. What do we do with sin? We hand it to Jesus and say, please, you've already died for this. Help me to live according to your identity. If it's not checked, it's going to ruin you. 
Whether it's in this life or the next life, all I'm telling you is you can't just have unchecked sin. Either Jesus pays for it or it's still there, right? So James is warning and just saying, guys, you're gonna have some stuff that ultimately was a whisper and then you ran on it and it wrecked your life. I'm just telling you, that's not us. That's not what we do. That's not what we're supposed to be about. So hard times can make us better or bitter, yes? How, how are you doing so far on your trial? That's, that's, that's what we're getting to. So here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna use our final minutes and we're just gonna do some ministry time where I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you, if you're going through a trial, stand up and I'll be praying through a bunch of different trials. It might be one that you're going through. And I'm just gonna be praying blessing and breakthrough over you. And we're gonna do that in a moment. Now, I do wanna highlight out, if you're brand new, uh, we're doing Introducing Bridgeway right after the service upstairs. I'll be up there. I'd love to greet you. Once again, that's for everybody that is brand new. And you go, man, I'd love to meet the staff. We're gonna do that. But at the end of the service, we're gonna have the prayer team come on up here and you can come and get ministry. But I wanna pray specifically for those of us that are going through trials. If you're going through a significant trial right now, can you please stand? And our, our standing, the purpose of our standing is to say, Lord, pastor's talking about me, right? I mean, that's why we're standing. You're not standing, you don't have to tell anybody next to you what your trial is. God knows. Anybody else? Yeah? Okay. Now, I want you to remain standing as I pray. And I'm going to be praying and trying to track with the Holy Spirit on what's going on in your life. Anyone that is not standing, you are automatically an intercessor for those that are standing. Okay? So I just want you to pray in agreement with me and pray breakthrough in their lives. This is for our family to surround them. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and do this. Remain standing. Heavenly Father, some of us are standing out of just sheer desperation. That God, if we could fix it, we would have fixed it. And yet here we stand. Lord, some of us never saw it coming. It just came around the corner. Some of us are overwhelmed and we feel like we're in a spin cycle. And we desperately need wisdom. God, would you open our eyes and open our hearts that we might be able to see your movement in the midst of our trial. God, if, you, if, if it's not best for you to take us out of it, I just pray right now that you would walk with us hand in hand through it and we would know your will. So God, we're praying for wisdom, just like your word says. You said, Lord, that you would give without reproach, meaning you're not saying, well, you started it, so I'm not gonna do it. God, I pray right now in this grace-filled space that you would give us wisdom, that you would open our eyes. God, some of us are standing due to financial reasons. We don't know how to make ends meet. Lord, to be honest, we're even looking and there is no budge in our budget. There is no ability to make it work. God, there are people that are counting on us and we are stressing every day. We're worried about retirement, we're worried about today, we're worried about tomorrow. And so God, would you begin to either allow what we have to stretch or provide that which we do not have? God, we're seeking your provision. Holy Spirit, some of us are standing because of relational breakage. Some of us, it's about our grandkids. Lord, we are scared about them. They're going down paths we don't understand. And God, we are so worried. Your word says that we shouldn't be worried, and yet here we are. God, I pray right now that you would remind us on a daily basis that you chase down grandkids that you're more interested in their rescue than we are. The only reason we're concerned is you were concerned first. God, I pray that whether it's our children or whether or not it's our grandchildren or whether or not, Lord, it is not even inside our family. It is, it is some type of concern of relationship. Lord, let's say some of us, you watched us be betrayed. You watched us to be hurt. You watched us be harmed. And now, Lord, we don't know what to do with it. The idea of forgiveness doesn't even make sense to us. I just pray, Lord, that your grace, your hugs, your love would squeeze us so tight that all of our yuck pours out. Would you refill us back up? 
God, there's some of us that are standing because of a diagnosis or a disease or a sickness. And God, I pray breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Lord, that if there's any way, if this is not something that needs to take us out of this life into glory, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, full and complete healing. I pray from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. I pray for our lungs. I pray for our hearts. I pray for our hips. I pray for our legs and our extremities. I pray for our brains. I pray, Lord Jesus, for our internal organs like our liver and our kidneys and our pancreas. God, I just pray pray right now that you would just pour down your healing balm over every single one suffering here today. We know you're able. We know your heart's with us. We don't doubt that. God, there's some of us right now that are dealing with loss. It's the grief that's getting us. God, someone we cared about is gone and we can't get them back. We know they're okay with you, but we're not okay without them. God, I pray that you would enter into that void with your presence, that you would be our partner, that you would be our friend, that you would be the one we process with. Until, Lord, we get a chance to have some other people with skin on them in connection and community, God, we need you to fill in that gap. It just doesn't seem right. God, I pray for those of us that are facing the trial of addiction and recovery, that God, we know there is freedom in you. We know that there's freedom in you, but God, we have done things that have trained a pattern in our system, and we feel like we are fighting against ourselves. So we are asking right now for a renewing of our mind. We're asking for a rewiring of our mind. We're asking for a freshness to come over our bodies. We are praying for a redesign and allocation of our chemicals. We're praying for a purification throughout our bodies that we might be whole. God, there's a lot of us standing here and pastor didn't talk at all about our trial. Lord, I don't know how many here feel like they can't even talk about their trial with others or that maybe everyone's sick of hearing about it. What I know, Lord, is that you have never abandoned them. You've never walked away. You've never said, I don't want to hear about it. You've never said, I'm tired. Every time we cried out, you had a resilient response. So God, I'm just praying breakthrough in those secret areas. I pray that you would bring encouragement and encouragement and encouragement. I pray that you would bring a lightheartedness and a hope and a a breakthrough beam of light down into the dark basement of our soul. And I just pray that there would be freedom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.